You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast with your hosts, Robert Gowan, Rudy Lindsay, Mike Pritz, and Kat Kalin. Hey, everyone. Once again, thanks for tuning in to the Mentors for Military podcast. Each week, you get an opportunity to hear awesome veterans who want to make a difference by sharing their inspiring or motivating experience. Don't forget that you can find us at iTunes, at SoundCloud, at Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and all other social media like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by just searching Mentors, the number four, M-I-L. Thank you for tuning in each week and for making this show great. We also can't thank Skeleton Optics enough for sponsoring our podcast. If you haven't checked them out, head over to SkeletonOptics.com and be sure to use the code Mentors, the number four, M-I-L, to receive your 10% discount just for following us. Again, that's Mentors, the number four, M-I-L. All right, it's time once again to grab a seat and tune in. This week, we are joined by Nick Ham, who served 20 years in the Marine Corps and retired in 2015 as a first sergeant. He is now the founder of the Warrior Built Foundation, and we discuss the challenges veterans have after separation and especially those who were involved in combat or who were injured. On this episode, I'm joined by fellow hosts Kat Kalin and Don Fox. All right, here we go. Let's dive in because I want to learn a lot more about, you know, let our listeners know a little bit about you and your background and everything. So first off, you came into the Marine Corps when? Because you have 20, 20 plus years, I think you had told me uh, in the very beginning. No, I'm, I'm right at 20 years. Okay. So yeah, I got uh, 20 years exactly. And, uh, you know, I was ready to kind of move on and, and start a new life, I guess. So where did you come in from? Uh, I joined out of Tucson, Arizona. Okay. And then I, I was 19, and I, you know, you know, I was basically stationed in California my whole time at Camp Pendleton. So I was super lucky to be stationed there the entire time, and obviously I deployed a bunch and trained all over the place. But uh, that was always been kind of like my my home base. So, so, so don't that they, pretty cool. Don't they call that a uh, Hollywood Marines? Uh, yeah, we're definitely <laughs> uh, the West Coast guys are Hollywood Marines. Yeah, I mean, you can get stationed other places. You know, I, I was just. I'm one of the few lucky ones that got to like stay at Camp Pendleton. I moved from like unit to unit on Camp Pendleton, but never had to leave the base, so which is pretty cool, you know. But as Marines, we're kind of limited on where we can go, anyways. It's not kind of like the Army or the Air Force. We got like tons of bases all over the world, you know. We got very few. You know, the infantry. My grandfather was a Marine. He was the infantry guy, and um, so yeah, that's what I wanted to do, you know. I mean, I joined when I was 19, so honestly, I mean, for me. You know, my grandfather was always be a marine, be a marine. Like, I mean, ever since I can remember, and I'd always, I would always tell him, like, no, nah, I'm good. You know, I don't, know, I don't want to go to the military. And um, he never stopped my whole life. You know, and uh, my dad was in the army. He did four years in the army, and uh, he didn't like it. You know, the military wasn't for him. I mean, he was proud to serve, but. He just wanted to do his four honorably and get out, which is fine. Right, know? right. And uh, he never really pushed me to go in the military. He was like, hey, it really wasn't for me. Um, so it, it was really my grandfather really pushed me. And it wasn't until I was about, well, I was 19 when I joined, and I was getting in a lot of trouble. Um, you know, I was just, um, yeah, just getting in a lot of trouble, you know. I, I was just a punk kid and, and running around doing, doing things I shouldn't be doing. And uh, I was kind of just going down this path, you know, and, Couple of my buddies already went to jail, and um, I knew if I didn't do something, you know, I was probably gonna go to jail. And yeah. um, so I said, you know what? I need to take my grandfather's advice. So I literally put down a recruiting officer and say, hey, I need to get out of Tucson. And um, they said, all right. And I was, I was gone. You know, I joined the Marine Corps, and 
and uh, luckily for me, you know, it, it was a good fit. You know, I, I excelled in it. You know, in my first four years, I was um, I did pretty well, and and I dug it. And I was like, well, I mean, and I grew up really poor too, so my whole family's super poor, and and uh, so I, I didn't I couldn't afford to go to college if I wanted to, and so I was kind of helping my family out. And I was like, there's really no reason reason to to get out of the military after my four. And I was like, I'm just gonna keep staying in, and I got my little brother to join. So he's about two and a half years behind me, and um, oh wow, so I got him and yeah, it's like so he joined and drug him to the Marine Corps, obviously, and he became a, a grunt as well, and uh, he's still in. He retires next year, and um, That's awesome. it was the best thing, me, best thing me and my brother ever did in our life was join the military, really maybe become a man, and, and maybe you know kind of straighten me out, and uh, so, so, I, so I dig. You know, I recommend you know for anyone to at least do four years, and. Um, it'll really change your life you know as you guys know yeah most definitely and of course you retired as a e8 a first sergeant what was uh, your last assignment there because i think you had something to do that we had talked about with uh wounded soldiers and stuff like that or wounded uh marines that you were i was my lab my i retired out of the school infantry and uh where we have all the combat instructors i was a combat instructor as well you know prior to that but now it's just kind of uh you know, one of the first arms for the school infantry and training all the entry-level students, you know, their infantry skills. But prior to that, I was at the Wounded Warrior Battalion. So for three years, I was the first sergeant for, uh, on the West Coast for the Wounded Warrior Battalion down at Balboa Hospital, actually. And um, so that was definitely a, a culture shock for me, going straight from the infantry when you know, I got promoted to first sergeant, you know, and, you know, I was, you guys know I can go anywhere now. And they said, hey, you know, you've, You've been wounded before, and I crashed my dirt bike a few times and almost killed myself. And uh, so I had some experience being wounded and injured. And um, so they say, you're going to go down to Balboa and, and uh, basically be the first arm for all the severely wounded, injured, and ill Marines on the West Coast. And uh, that was definitely a challenging duty. You know, now we were actually on the hospital grounds of Balboa in San Diego. We had a barracks there, and I had all the amputees, uh, cancer patients, um, severe mental health uh you know marines so definitely for me it was a an eye-opener and a really fast learning curve to learn about medical and you know all these different things and, and just and really the severe stuff and um so it was definitely uh, an emotional and a very kind of like taxing duty as far as mentally uh you know it's, I, I saw you know a few of my marines die from cancer you know over you know the, the few years that i was there and i kind of like watched that process happen so, um, yeah. honestly, I didn't know really cancer was that bad. You know, I mean, for, this is my first time. You know, I knew being wounded, you know, people getting blown up and losing limbs and this and that. And that was really my first exposure to, to watching my Marines basically die over months and months. And there's really nothing you can really do. And, and some of them got amputated, too. I didn't know that either. I had one guy had to get amputated both his legs. The whole cancer process, and he ends up dying anyway. So, I mean, not to get off track, but... It, that really just kind of affected me. Um, on top of the, you know, the, you know, the combat stuff, but uh, you know, just all the, the different stuff that's out there. That's just uh, you can really, um, it can really change you, you know. And it's just there's so many things, you know. That's we talk about PTSD, but there's so many different types of PTSD. People kind of tend to focus on combat related, but there really is other forms of it. And I really didn't think about that until having that a job at Babel Hospital, you know. So, so it's kind of a it's a different time for me. 
Yeah, I bet. Now, Don was actually a commander of similar type of unit, weren't you, Don? Yeah, I, w- I would say I was the operations officer there for the uh, Wounded War Battalion here at Fort Benning. Okay. S- similar, similar thing, you know, except just been at the battalion level. But you see, like you just said, you see all that. You've got, you know, the ones from com- the injuries from combat. You've got some that maybe are just um, injured, i.e., tore an ACL, MCL, and then a recovery right. stage. And then also the same ones. You know, we had several with cancer also, and they just and they and they get assigned to us. So. Yeah, that's got to be very and tough. You, so you're you're setting up training schedule. You know, take away obviously the ones that are terminally ill, but you've got some that are on a return to their return to duty path that you're trying right. to get them. You know, into, staying in the mix of you know going to the range and staying qualified and current with weapons and just doing regular you know common common skills training. And then you have the other ones that you're setting up with, you know, they're going to transition out and be some type of medically retired and you're trying to set them up with some type of, you know, job or vocational work that they can do once they leave. Right. Was a, like you said, it's, uh, it's your parental transition through all phases of the recovery. And right. some are going to stay in, but majority they're going to get out. And it's hard to keep their motivation up too. That, that's it. You know, you got the ones that really get upset because they can't continue on anymore and that's all they've ever done and so it's like well you know i get it we're all gonna we're all gonna transition at some time you know exactly. it's just they're not doing it on their terms so to speak and so it's everything you get them you know some type of mechanic certification to you know getting some type of certifications with computers so they can you know get out and and there's you know there was many programs that did help those guys out that but, you know, again, it's keeping them motivated to do it was a, was a challenge. I guess because I never dealt with that sort of that side of the transition because normally with, like, regular service members that go through the transition period, they don't really get, you know, certifications or kind of a path or someone to push them to go somewhere. And I really wish Mike was here because he, he goes into depth on how the Army Transitions Program, he feels that it failed him, whereas you guys and your cadre members who are trying to get these guys and gals their minds right to go out and be functioning because ultimately they're not going to be able to continue their military career. I'm just curious on why they don't implement that into just the regular transition of, you know, guys and gals leaving the military, not just so much as the wounded part. You know what I mean? Like, just your thoughts on that, especially having to deal with those guys. You know, for me... Because that's where, like, a lot of guys become homeless because they don't know what to do. Right. But I'm sorry, go ahead. In my experience, I can't really talk about other services besides the Marine Corps. Um, but I know as far as the Marine Corps, they've really stepped up and have done an amazing job as far as transitioning all service members. And you have, you have to go through mandatory, you know, classes, you know, prior to separating that goes over, you know, resumes and finding jobs. And, I mean, it's mandatory. They have to go. Um, so the opportunities are out there, you know, at least from my experience with the Marine Corps. And even with the wounded guys, they even get, they still get a little bit more. And, but the problem that I see, to be honest with you, and, and, you know, I, and I'm pretty blunt, you know, I'm hard on service members, you know. It's like I expect so much out of them. And a, and a lot of these service members just don't take advantage of the programs that are out there. Um, they, they fail to follow through. They, they say, you know what, I'll, I'll get a job or they think the world owes them something. And that's just not the case. You know, you really got to create your own destiny. 
And so from my, my experience, you know, with the Wounded War Battalion and transitioning all my Marines that, you know, out of that, that weren't in the Wounded War Battalion, just my regular unit, um, the opportunities are there, you know, but they got to be willing to take advantage of these programs and, or they got to be willing to go where the job are at too. You know, some want to go back to hometown USA, but there may not be a job there for them, you know, that, you know, they have other opportunities in other places, but some of them just want to go back home or maybe it's due to because they're married and maybe their spouse, you know, wants to go this way or that way. I know there's a lot of factors out there, but from my, like I said, my experience, you know, the, the Marine Corps is doing a great job. I can't speak to their resources. It's just what I've seen is my Marines are failing to take advantage of those programs, which is very frustrating, you know, to, to watch them do that. It's interesting to me because, you know, with the, when the guys that are leaving the Wounded Warrior Battalion, you know, you're, you're trying to build them up emotionally and mentally because they have to live with this new disability that they're leaving with. And then uh, on the other side, you want, you know, the guys that are perfectly healthy coming out of the military. It's like you need to amp them up to be like, this is real life that you're going to be heading into, you know, and it's not, even though you don't have a disability, like the guys that you guys have dealt with, you need to be prepared for A, B, and C. And it's, what's interesting to me is that they don't, I wish there was some sort of program or some sort of initiative or class or something that would kind of pound that into their head. Like, this is, this is what you guys are going to be facing. You're not going to be just going into like a walk in the park, into a job, like you said, hometown USA. Whereas the guys with the disabilities are like, this is, I have to live with this because this is who I am now. You see what I'm saying? So I just find it interesting on both perspectives with transition. And one thing that it, it's in both, but the problem is, you know, you can start your transition process up to 24 months out in the army. And so they have the programs that you go sit in these week long and two, and you can go back in there and do these. The problem is this, most soldiers that are transitioning don't think 24 months out, let alone think. And so when they have to come through that mandatory thing, it's because they're leaving in three months. And at that point, they're, you're, you're limited on what the, the, the soldier for life can, can offer them. Whereas in the warrior transition battalion, that's kind of their day-to-day job is right. is in that transition. Whereas you're you know, preparing some that. units within the army, those units want you doing army stuff until the day you leave from there. And so the units and, and the other part is you're around in the warrior transition battalion. In the battalions, you're around guys that are going through the same thing. Whereas in the unit, right. they're some of them are still driving on, getting ready for deployment, getting ready to go do some type of training. And there's only a small handful of them that are doing the transition. So there's really nothing to keep them focused. And, and like you said earlier is, you know, they think they want to go back home and, and to where they came from. Well, there's probably a reason they came from there to go because it wasn't nothing when they left three or four years ago. And now they're going to go back there. And they also look at they're looking at a certain and the career they're looking at doing is not so much the career that they really enjoy. They're looking at. How much money does it pay? Right. You right. know, I want to make this amount of money. So again, it just the hold up to that is when you start your transition, how far out based on what you want to do and where you get set up to do that. That's that's yeah. the difference. Yeah, a lot of them have under unrealistic goals, and so far as the Marine Corps is concerned, what happens? They have to come see their first sergeant. So they got to come see me. everyone that's going to transition out, whether they're wounded or not. Has to see the candidate in, and they have to say, "Hey, this is why I'm not re-enlisting, You know, because I'm, I'm gonna 
looking for a job, you know, X, Y, or Z. So we do sit down with them. So it really depends on, I think, on the leadership a lot of times in that particular unit and how much time they spend with their individual Marines or you know, service members on, hey, what are you going to do? You know, do you got a resume? You know, what, what is your plan? You know, are you, right. are you going to school? You hear you're going to go to school all the time, and I, and I really hammer on those guys. You know, they tell me, oh, I'm going to go to school. That's the easy thing out. I'm going to use my GI Bill. Uh, you know, I call bullshit, you know, because a lot of times they, they say that, you know, just because they don't want to, you know, they don't want to talk to me. You know, they don't want to talk to their leadership. Hey, I'm going to go to school. It's the easy way out. Or some reason for the wrong reasons. They use their GI Bill just for the money part. I'm not going to get a part-time job. I'll just live with my GI Bill and I'm going to take some, you know, bullshit classes. You know, so I've seen that happen before. You know, and I've seen some, you know, other service members that are really responsible and they go on and they're making tons of money right now. So I think it, takes, I think it takes all walks of life. But I think it starts with the leadership in that unit and how much they really know their service members and how much they really care about hammering down on them that, hey, Getting out of the military is another life-changing experience, just like joining the military was. You know, you really got to have all your ducks in a row to ensure that you're successful, especially if you have a family. You know, the single ones, I mean, it's easy. You know, if you're single and you just worry about yourself, I mean, that's an easy day. But, but now you got a, a wife or kids or a husband and kids or, or whatnot, and you really got to make sure you're you're going to do the right thing to support them because, you know, I know it's easy when you're in the military, you know, you, you get all the support, you know, you can get housing if you need to. I mean, there's so many different things that we kind of forget about, you know, as far as being in the military. And uh, so when they get out, I think it's really eye-opener, you know, because I've had plenty of my, my buddies and, and Marines that have, that have served with me that have gotten out and they're like, man, I wish I would have stayed in. You know, I hear that all the time. Right. And the military's not very bad, you know, and, and I get it. Right. But I, I see so many that say this wish, man, I wish I would have stuck it out. You know, I did my 20 years, you know, but I do have a, a lot of success stories as well. That I've had guys that get out that are police officers, firefighters, and have all these great jobs and, and they're doing great. So, I mean, so I don't ever discourage anyone from getting out or staying in. I just want to make sure they have a plan, you know. And right, and, and, and what I, and I did as a, as a company commander, I would just that's fine if you want to go, to, I want you to go and bring and write me, write your plan out of what you're going to do. And yeah. come back in on, the, on that counseling at that 12 months out, and we sit down and read their plan, and then from there I'll ask a couple of questions that you know, hey, maybe they didn't think about, or you know, and if you're going to go to college, okay, so let's do the checklist for college. When do you plan on enrolling? Have you already applied? You know, transcripts, and they look at it that way. And next thing you know, a couple, you know, a couple weeks later, some of them would come back and said, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to reenlist. It's not really. Not really time for me to get out yet. Right. But again, like you said, I never forced it. Never begged anyone to stay, and never told anyone to get out. But it's right. Have a plan. Whatever it is, have a plan. And I think a lot of the military is dealing with right now, or at least when I got out, you know, it's been almost two years now, and I uh, retired in October 2015, and you know, because the war happened, so there was a lot of service members from all branches of service that stayed in because of the money, as far as getting a bonus to reenlist. That for me, at least in the Marine Corps, created this thing that where you may not have gotten the people that you really wanted to reenlist, you're getting these ones that probably should have got out the four years. You know, at least I, I was speaking for the Marine Corps, you know, I mean, just because of the war, hey, I'm, I'm, I can reenlist and get $40,000, you know, I, there wasn't a problem. You get my guys to reenlist back in the, you know, the mid 2000s. It was like, that was an easy, easy day because they got all this money. But they did it for the wrong reason, you know? So, I mean, it's. Um, yeah. 
True. So I don't know. It, it takes all kinds, you know, like we spoke before, you know, to join the military. There's there's great people. There's bad people. It's like anything in the whole world. Yeah, they're not you know, the not same. Every, yeah, not everybody's the same. And, and not all veterans you know, are the same. So it's it's pretty much and, the same and, thing. Well, one of the things, Rob, that they started was when, in the last brigade that I was in was they set up an OML for reenlistment. And basically it was a commander's assessment of each individual that was in their window. And it started out with what their PT score was, what their what were their marksmanship scores, you know, what kind of awards and decorations did they have, all the way through what type of professional development schools. And it was you, you get a certain amount of it's almost like a promotion packet. Right. Right. So many points on me thing, and that's how you went on the OML for reenlistment. And so when you wanted that particular, you know, because sometimes they get choice of assignment or choice of a school, or you get certain things in a reenlistment. And those were only open for certain times. Well, the higher score, those guys obviously had their opportunities. And the guys at the bottom, it's like, well, you know, you kind of did a self-assessment. And maybe you're not cut out for this. Right. You know, they spend, th- they spend three years thinking, I'm just, I'm here, but I'm going to get out. I'm here, I'm going to get out. And then all of a sudden it comes down to it and they want to stay in. They're at the bottom of the OML for reenlistment. Right. Yeah, I don't want to be all negative on it, you know. And no, I tell no, people, no, it wasn't, it wasn't negative. <laughs> life happens, you know. Yeah. It gave it a good tool. It gave it a good yeah. tool for other ones to see that, whoa, I've got to do, it's not just, you know, it's kind of like if you work in a civilian job, you know, what are you, what are you doing? You know, you're just coming to work, yeah. going through the motions, or are you, you know, are you doing something productive? Yeah, you know, and anyone who knows me, especially as a Marine, I'm two different people, to be honest. I mean, there's the Marine, Nick, and then there's the regular Nick, you know. I, did a, I was able to do a very good job at distinguishing the two people. And I'm going to sound crazy right now. I'm two people, but uh, it really was. You know, my, my personality and my demeanor, everything's totally different. And they saw me. You saw me off duty, and people don't even recognize me. You know, I'm way I'm dressed and everything else. You know, I look like this, you know, wearing a flat bill hat, and I, you know, I ride my dirt bike. You know, you never knew I was even a Marine. I told people I'm a Marine, they're like, oh, wow. You know, but, but I had it just as soon as both, both of my lives. That way, the Marine Corps didn't consume me and me just be this crazy weirdo. Um, I think but, you find uh, a lot of veterans are that way, actually. <laughs> you know, I think we're, I think a lot of us end up having that two-sided, and you have to do that in some cases in order to keep your sanity. Yeah, for sure, you know. But but I'm all about, you know, I I'm, I appreciate everyone's service and sacrifice, whether it be four years or 30 years, you know. To me, you know, I'm thankful that they serve, and, and I appreciate it. Uh, but at the same time, I'm definitely, if people know me, I'm, I know I'm hard on veterans because I want them to be successful. And I ask them, you know, what are they doing for themselves, you know? You know, maybe negative situation that they're in, you know? And um, so I'm very hard, you know? I think er- there's enough people out there that pass out hugs and, yeah. and everything that I don't need to get another one, per- one of those people. I want to be able to kick people in the chest and be like, hey, yeah. wake up, you know, let me help you. You know, I want to help you. And, and if I'm, if you're telling me here's a problem and I'm giving you two, three, four different answers to fix this problem and you're like giving me an excuse why none of those will work, I'm like, all right. Do you really want help, or are you just you, know, you just trying to like say, "Hey, woes me," and you know, world owes me, and you just just give me stuff. And uh, so, as far as that's why, I kind of you know, with my foundation, we really try to empower and encourage service members of all service to really help themselves. You know, we want to provide the resources, we want to provide you know recreational opportunities, you know, so they can get motivated. But at the same time, we're, we're about teaching them to give back and think more than just than just about themselves, but really how to help others. Because through, through helping others, it's really changed my life, and it's really helped me heal a lot. 
and it's really helped me kind of have a different outlook on on my own life and 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 it's really just helped me become a better person i think you know a better member of society a better marine so yeah. on and so forth you know i'm not perfect by no means but that things i need to work on helping others it's really you know it kind of changed my attitude and and i really want to seek out the ones that really want the help too you know there's because there's some people you just can't save some right. people just don't want the help and, and you just can't waste too much time on them you know, and I've made that mistake, you know, you, you can't save them all. So I, I really, there's other people out there that need your help or could really use it. So you got to, it's very hard kind of to balance that, you know, so you don't get caught up in too much drama on one person, you know. Your last assignment that you had, do you think that humanized you a little bit and kind of directed you to your path now with what you're doing, kind of going from first art grunt to having to deal with soldiers who you can't make um, them do something, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then now what I, you're doing with helping I veterans. Still, I was still pretty hardcore, you know, if you've ever met any one of my Marines that I that served under me. I still kept a pretty kind of hardcore attitude with those guys just because that was my job, you know. I mean, it was, I tried not to get too close to them. Um, some of my staff members just couldn't really handle it over a long period of time, you know, because you get the caregiver burnout, you get the you know, just the, it's just so emotionally taxing, you know, dealing with someone in the hospital that's, you got blown out, was missing legs or limbs and, or maybe it's dealing with the cancer or dealing with some sort of mental health issues and you having to go visit the mental health ward where it's locked down and you're in there with all these people. And I mean, it can become, you know, hard, you know? So for me, I try to like, to really stay, you know, Hey, Here's what the Marine Corps, you know, expects of you. Here's the bare minimum. As long as you the bare minimum, oh, I'm not going to harp on anything. You know, but you still need to get a haircut. You still need to shave. You know what I'm saying? You still need to wear a uniform. And those are some of my most challenging, actually, things to get these guys to do because they're like, hey, I'm wounded, injured, or ill. I'm just going to board the flies. You know, let's just do whatever the hell we want. That little hospital. And I'm like, oh, hell no. You know, this is, you know, it's you're still getting paid by the Marine Corps. It's, you know, we're going to do the bare minimum. So you have to do that because what I've noticed is if you let them too fall too far away from the military as far as that structure, it really hampered on their recovery process. Sure. You know, because their motivation went down. They really, they started not caring about anything, you know. And so I had to kind of actually – I had to battle a lot of doctors and providers and stuff. They say, oh, you're, you're too hardcore being, you know, being more leaning on it. I'm like, no, but you're yeah. the same person that's emailing me, calling me that they're, they're missing their appointments, that they're having an attitude at, at, at this thing, but you don't want me to, you know, yell at them for not getting a haircut and, and shaving this morning. You know, like it's, um, it, it all works hand in hand, you know, and, um, but for me, my kind of coming to Jesus moment, for me, that kind of, because I was wounded prior to this and everything else and went to combat after that, after I was wounded two years later. But what really affected me the most while I was working at Donville Hospital, my fiance passed away. And um, that really, you know, truly changed my life. You know, more than my combat experience, more than being wounded, more than working with wounded a lot of the time, seeing all this stuff around me. When she passed away, that hurt Nick, you know, it didn't hurt right. the Marine. And it, I didn't really know how to cope with that. You know, so I was, I drank a lot and, I still went to work every day, you know, did my job with one over time and all that junk and, and no one really knew how bad I was. Uh, I was I was lucky to survive that moment in time really for me that first year it was pretty difficult. You know, that was pretty much my last year at the Wounded War at the time, you know, dealing with 
with all my, you know, source members and plus dealing with her death, uh, really just um, impacted me so much that I had to figure out something to do on my off time because my work was so busy, you know, dealing with their, everyone and their families, you know, throughout the day. You know, when I got home, that's I just drank all night long and, you know, partied or whatever. And, and then uh, so I had to figure out something to do to stop that cycle. And, and that's what actually led me to start my foundation is I wanted to do something to take up all my time, you know, and and that's why I started my initial project building this chopper thing with some other wounded veterans because it, it forced me to plan and coordinate and do all these things with this chopper every night by drinking myself to death. And uh, from doing that project, I seen what an impact it made on not only myself, but on the service members that I did this with that I said, um, you know, we're, we're going to keep on kind of doing this. And I formalized it and gave it a name. It could just be Nick Cam doing good in this world. So that's kind of when the warrior built whole concept kind of started was after, you know, probably that year of building that chopper kind of turned into that. You know, I just saw what a difference it made in my life to help others. Sure. You know, while dealing, dealing with my own struggles, you know, and uh, it just helped me heal, you know, and, and just get a little piece of myself back. And, you know, I'm still going through that process and dealing with different things. But the biggest thing I found is you got to have some kind of outlet to keep you occupied because um, you just can't sit at home every day and, and play Xbox and, and drink. You know, you got to have different hobbies, different interests. And you have a purpose. Ones. You know, to, to keep you, yeah, keep you going, you know, have that purpose in life. And uh, so that's really why I started, you know, how War Built kind of started, was through my own struggles and dealing with, the, you know, helping others. And so it really was never my intention, you know, to start a, like a, a charity. Um, it was just to help some other guys and help myself. And it just kind of kind of went down that path, you know. And uh, so here it is today. We kind of, you know, we, we've grown a little bit and kind of still on that same concept and just hoping to just to help other people and truly make relationships with people, not just a, a one-time donation. You know, I tell people all the time I can give, you know, I could have a thousand bucks and give a thousand people one dollar, you know, but that really make a difference in that one person's life. Probably not. But if I give a thousand bucks to one person, you know, and really create a relationship with them, you know, then I'm probably truly helping them, you know, and right. that's what we are with our foundation. It's more about relationships and, really getting to know them it's not about numbers it's not about how many people we help every year every month every week it's about truly getting to know these guys because as you know you can't get to know someone the first time you meet them you know and they're talking to them on skype or on the phone or or even at a you go together somewhere to a sporting event or something it's going to take you know a few meetings and, and a few times you know to really to get people to open up about the good the bad the ugly and and that's what our our facility is about is getting those guys to keep coming back and interacting with each other and a lot of times it's really not me or the guys on my staff that are really helping each other. It's the veterans themselves. It's the veterans that are there working on a project or upstairs in the music room or the gym. It's just them having a place to go other than the bar and their house and, and sitting around doing nothing, you know, to really get engaged in something, you know. I mean, we're not against partying. That's one thing that we're, we're about. I tell you, we're not your grandma's foundation. By no means, you know, we're, we're about having a good time, but <laughs> you need to have more than just a good time. Right. You know, totally. Uh, a little bit of balance, I guess. You created that camaraderie outside of the military lifestyle. I mean, continued it, I guess you could say, because that's what a lot of a lot of guys get. Once they leave the military, they get pushed under the rug and they lose themselves because they define themselves by 
their brothers and sisters in arms and the camaraderie that they have. So now that you've created this healthy outlet for people to actually do a little self-discovery as well as other people, I mean, like in the military, you have first sergeant, commander keeping you accountable, and now you have these people that you care about that's keeping you accountable. So that's that's really, I mean, everybody who listens to this, super important to your transition and just maintaining like a healthy mindset. So that's that's awesome. Congratulations. No, thanks. You're exactly right. It's about the camaraderie, you know. It's about letting the service members be themselves, you know, because working at the Wound War Battalion, I work with so many different charities because you can imagine, obviously, you know, our population, every charity in the world wants to help our population. So I saw a lot of good ones, a lot of bad ones, a lot of in-between. And mostly I talked to all, all my guys that would go and to these events with these charities. You know, how was it? Was it a good time? Was it worth it? And, and a lot of times it was. Sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes they felt they really couldn't be themselves. You know, it was that dog and pony show, you know? Sure. And um, so I was like, yeah, I really want to. And I couldn't relate to, to a lot of the charities, you know. And uh, so that's really, you know, for me, it's important that I let these service members, these veterans, be themselves. You know, I don't care if they cuss. I don't care if they, you know, drink and and, and get wild and crazy. You know, I mean, as long as we all do the moderation and we're there, to look for, look out for each other. You know, and, and if we can identify that, and that's really how you find out, from my experience, if they really have a problem. You know, if you say no drinking, you know, you can't do this, you can't ride your motorcycle, don't do a burnout right here, and have all these rules, then you don't really know who really has a problem, you know, who's really getting a little too wild and crazy and who's not, because they're not really being themselves. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're point. kind of walking on their toes, you know, they're like kind of on your chain of command, you know, like, hey, I'm, I'm going to act a certain way, you know, that way they don't look down upon me or, or what I don't get, you know, you know, uh, singled out or something. So, so we encourage them to have a good time. You know, we also encourage each other to, to look out for each other and reel people in, you know, if they're getting, you know, a little too crazy and about to go to jail. You know, that's, sure. that's, 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 that's no good. But, uh, um, so yeah, it's our facility. There's no secret recipe on it. It's just a, basically, it's basically like a clubhouse where we have a gym in there. We have a music therapy room. We have a lounge. We do uh, PTSD therapy groups, you know, every week. Or they can just hang out up there and watch movies. We have the main garage floor where we can work on projects. It's kind of like a hobby shop, really. You know, we do welding classes every week. So there's, there's a schedule where, you know, certain days of the week, certain things go on. But on the rest of the hours, you can, can use the whole facility, you know. And it's, so it's really just a place to get together for many different reasons. And that's what I learned early on was how do you get someone out of the house? That's the, that's the hardest part. How do you get them off the couch to go somewhere? You know, you got to have something fun and exciting. So our facility is definitely a, a cool facility where when they come in, it's not just a dirty, you know, garage you know you know it's, it's all painted the floor is done really cool you know it's just a rad place to you just want to hang out even if you not want to do anything you just want to go and just bullshit with people you know that's what a lot of guys come man. i'm just gonna go in there and sit around bullshit watch other people work on some stuff or go upstairs in the music room and, and jam out you know we have you know music therapy classes and but the music but the musics are the instruments are available all week you know they can just go up there and you don't have to be a pro so, so really what happens is they come there for one reason and they end up exploring other things and say, wow, I really like playing guitar. This is really fun. Or I, I want to turn a ranch or I want to learn how to weld and so on and so forth, you know. So it's just a, a multi-purpose facility. So it, it kind of encompasses hopefully everybody out there because we're all in different stuff. You know, we're not all in the same things, you know. And that's what's important to me is we provide multiple forms of therapy because we're all different. You know, and, and, and hopefully expose them to something else while they're there, 
because you have to have different outlets. Because if you get hurt and you love riding a motorcycle and you can't ride a motorcycle anymore, then what are you going to do? You know, because it happens. You know, you got to have something else you're into. So I, I encourage, you know, these veterans to have multiple different outlets where it, it, it helps them cope with things, you know, that way um, they're not just stuck into one thing. But I can talk further about this stuff. So No, that's great. What, what What is the age groups that you find of most of the veterans that ended up, you know, joining the organization and being a part of it for us right now it's really it's mainly the iraq and afghanistan kind of veterans so it's really you're looking 20s to 40s gotcha. uh, that's kind of the population sure so it's um so it's kind of that generation of these 20s guys all from 20 to 40 i'm 40 you know and uh these guys and it's really the a population that that really still wants to get out there and live life you know, they're still living, the, you know, in the fast lane. You know, they're, you know, they're, they're still having the attitude that life's not over. You know, I mean, they still have a family and all that other stuff, but they still want to have fun and exciting experiences. And as you guys know, people in the military, you know, they like that adrenaline. You know, they, they want to do fun and exciting things. And so for right now, our, our main population is uh, those, I guess, that age, your 20s and 40s. So it's kind of, I guess I, I put it like, you know, like a VFW. You know, really, who's at a VFW? You know, it's probably the guys. Like, I mean, they're probably 60-plus. Right. You know, at a yes. VFW. Yeah. Um, and then nothing wrong. I'm not saying nothing bad about the VFW. In the end, it's just a bar. They need more, you know. And I think that's why they're losing membership. And there's not a lot of a younger population going there because it's a generational gap, you know. Yeah, they both have served. They served during different, different times. It's a different, it's a different world now. You know, we're into different things, different music, different lifestyles, you know. Uh, there may be, you know, a veteran from back in, you know, the, the 50s and 60s is maybe not going to really relate that much to a veteran in the 2000s, you know, other than, yeah, we both served, but it's a different era, you know, the, you know, the way we grew up and stuff like that. So that's why I think it's important that there's other charities like mine, I hope more pop up just, you know, like mine, to help this population of these veterans that are the younger generation, I guess you could say, to really get them involved in stuff. So of course, people. And I, can, I think that's where yours comes into play. Organizations like yours and things that you do, it gives them another outlet besides the, you know, a, an organization like the VFW. At one time, that generation there, that's all that was there. There was right. no other types of organizations like you that help still have fun and do their things. That's really what there was, and I think that's the gap part of it is. Yeah, they didn't join the VFW, they joined the Hells Angels, you know, back then. So, so, so. <laughs> right, right. It was, it was a small, yeah. smaller number of things. <laughs> but. So one of the ways so, that people can get involved, I guess, in Warrior Built is to go to your foundation website, which is warriorbuilt.org. And you can learn a lot more about the, uh, the program, the foundation, what you guys are all about. Uh, you've got some really cool sponsors as well. It looks like Munster, Snap-on. Uh, Miller, a, a bunch of different organizations are feature sponsors for you guys uh, with your motorcycles and, and your competition, I'm assuming, for the most part, therefore, like Bajas and stuff like that. Yeah, for, so for us, we're super stoked that we have a bunch of great companies that support us and back us because we can't do it without them. You know, it's got to be a give and take, you know. I mean, we got to be mutually benefiting to, to everyone out there. You know, we don't want the one-time donation. We want to be able to give back and, and really highlight these companies that are giving so much to us. So it's important to me that, that we do that. And uh, so that's why you see a lot of, you know, banners and we try to promote them as well. Because without them, you know, I can't help these, these vets out, you know. And with Monster Energy being kind of our biggest supporter, 
it's awesome, you know, because most veterans dig Monster and they probably drink Monster when they're overseas and everything else, you know. So it's um, so we're really stoked that they, they do so much for the military, not just for us, but they do a ton for the military. And um, so we're happy to have them. And, and really, the, the Worry About Foundation is just recreational therapy, you know. It's just a, it's a cool multi-purpose facility where, you know, you can come there. And basically, you got a music therapy room. There's a lounge, the TV. There's computers in there that we let the veterans use as far as a resource. They can. There's a cotton machine, printer, scanner. So if they don't got a computer at home, they can use our computers and our internet. You know, we got a front office. You know, that we help the veterans in. And we're all about working with other organizations too. It's important to me as a as a charity that we work with other charities to to really offer these veterans. You know, multiple resources because. We don't do it all, I mean, and we get that. You know, we're built, we're here, we're good at certain things, certain things we're not. So I like to partner with different charities that say, you know what, we don't do this, but hey, I'm going to connect you with, you know, with another organization that can help you. Um, so it's important, you know, for my, my organization that we work with multiple charities, and you know, we're, we're not about being just a warrior built, nobody else. You know, I mean, it's I, I'm hoping there's other organizations that that are just like us. You know, I mean, there's thousands of charities out there right now, but there's never going to be enough, you know. There's so many, you know, veterans out there that need support. Um, that we need, we need more organizations to keep going and, and good people out there to, to help run them. You know, I know, I know it's a lot. It takes a lot of work. You know, I don't get paid a dime to run Warrior Belt, and um, so it's it's hard. But at the same time, it's, it's rewarding. And, and if you have that drive and passion out there to do that, then I encourage you to, you know, to kind of step up and start your own charity, you know, it'll really make an impact in your community and your life. And, you know, whatever we can do as far as our organization, uh, I'm definitely um, want to help, you know, because our ultimate goal for, you know, the Warrior Bill Foundation is to have a, a facility in every state in America, multiple facilities. You know, I go back to the VFW, VFW pretty much in every city in America, you know, I mean, I, I'd love to have a warrior built in every city in America, you know, to have a cool place where the, these veterans can go and hang out, have a good time, and, and just do what we do. And, it, and it's everything. We, we hunt, we fish, we, we have a dirt bike race team. I mean, we I designed it to where we could do whatever the hell we want, you know, and it's all about the population that we're supporting. So if I get enough veterans that, hey, I want to go do this, or let's go do this, well, let's go do it. Right. You know, so our, our mission statement is so broad, you know, we're not just pigeonholed into one little thing, you know. So in California, you know, a lot of the guys ride the Harleys and dirt bikes, and so we do a lot of that. But, uh, you know, I mean, if we opened them up across, you know, the, America, then, I mean, it's all about that population. What are they into? Enjoy life. You know, they earned it. You know, their service and sacrifice for our country, and they, they earned to have a good time, you know. So I think it's important that I, that I mention that we're not just about – you know, wounded warriors, you know, I mean, I want to help out our foundation wants to have a combat veterans period. So it's not just about if you're wounded or not, but if you served in combat, you know, that that's, we want to help you because it's important because I have so many friends and, and guys like my brother who were never wounded, but they, they're, they have, they sacrificed, you know, and there's not a lot of organizations out there just for the combat veteran that wasn't injured, you know, so and, and, and you don't have to have PTSD, you don't have to have, you don't have to be missing limbs. You could be a combat veteran doing just fine, having a great job, you know, a nice family, and you're living life. Well, I want to I want to honor their service and sacrifice as well, because it's important to me that you don't always clump these wounded veterans or these guys with PTSD or all these guys with girls with problems together all the time. You need to have a mixture of hey, 
this person's super successful, so they can tell their story, you know, because maybe they had problems before, and now they are successful. Um, so it's important to me that we we have we help everybody because someone's going to inspire and influence someone through their story, and it may not be mine, it may not be yours, but it might be another veteran that walks through that door. So it's a so we're open to all combat veterans, you know, wounded or not, or struggling or not. It's it's for the it's for the the guy or girl that's doing just fine that has served our country and. Yeah, I, want, I want to give it back to them. It's awesome. I wish you nothing but success, that's for sure, and appreciate you coming on, buddy. No, thank yeah, you guys. I, I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. Hey everyone, Robert here. I love supporting veteran-owned companies, and Mentors for Military recently partnered with Skeleton Optics to offer a 10% discount to our listeners. That's right, 10%. These aren't your regular run-of-the-mill sunglasses, by the way. The frames are handcrafted in Italy with Zeiss Vision lenses. Use the code mentors for mil or mentors the number four mil at skeletonoptics.com, and you'll receive your 10% discount automatically at checkout. Hurry up and get on over there to support a veteran-owned company.